The Uriguaze podcast channel is brought to you by First Nations Fiber. Hey everyone, welcome to The Lead, where we discuss the news and events happening in the community of Kahnawake. In this episode, we discuss the controversial Bill 96, the K-Town Collectibles Expo, minor hockey, and the Kahnawake Hunters. Have you ever been gaming or working online classes and your internet service constantly gets interrupted? First Nations Fiber is about to ensure that just won't happen again. Get ready for high speed at a new level. Click on fnfiber.com and sign up today. First Nations Fiber, empowering people through connectivity. Hey everyone, my name is Jordan Standup. I am the assistant editor here at Yerdiwaze, and today I'm joined by our editor and publisher, Greg Horn, as well as our contributing writer, Mark Lalonde. And today we're here in the studio to talk about some of the news and events that are taking place in and around Ghanawage throughout the month of April. So welcome to the studio, gentlemen. Hi, Jordan. How's it going? I'm doing really well. How are you doing, Mark? Can't complain, Jordan. We're going to start this uh, particular episode off by talking about uh, an issue that's been making waves all over the province, but more specifically here in Ghanawage, which is Bill 96. And of course, Mr. Lalonde has been uh, providing some extent- extensive rather coverage of Bill 96. So... I'm going to turn it over to you for now, Mark. Thanks, Jordan. I appreciate that. And um, I'm looking forward to having a great discussion about this because there's a lot to get into. So I'll, without too too much of a, an introduction, Bill 96 was a, a law proposed by the Quebec government, I believe last year, but, but you know, sort of took hold in January, February when they started holding public consultations. And the idea was that it would strengthen the French language in Quebec to the point that some of the rights that are currently being enjoyed by minorities in the province would be taken away. The Quebec government doesn't necessarily see it that way, but there's been a lot of opposition here in the community to this bill, which would change a lot of the ways that life is actually run in English or in French. So give you a little bit of a rundown. Last month, the Quebec government pulled part of the bill, which would have required CEGEP students to take three core program classes in French. So you're asking, you know, students at an English CEGEP who are, say, in health sciences or nursing to learn a whole new set of terms and then have to have some sort of success and understanding based on that. So the government took some of those complaints into account and made a big show two weeks ago of dropping the requirement of three program courses in French for CEGEP students. But a lot of the problematic issues with the bill still remain. And there's a lot of opposition here in the community towards that. I had a conversation with the KEC last week, uh, as well as Grand Chief Sky Deer last week. And, and both were sort of adamant in the idea that Bill 96, as it's currently formed, even with those, dropping those three CEGEP courses, it still unfairly restricts you know, rights to minority language issues and and specifically where it stands with indigenous communities in Quebec. Frequently, French is probably the least spoken of of, of French, English and Mohawk here in the community. And for a lot of people, it's it's a challenge. It remains a challenge. And Bill 96 would remove some of the freedoms that people enjoy, such as uh, the rights to access to English health care and the rights to English services in court. So if you are a person who is seeking out health care and you don't have an English schooling medical certificate, they're not going to answer you in English. This is life-saving stuff or non-life-saving stuff. Here we are, two year, not even two years removed from Joyce Eshaquan. And, here, and, and we, here we go again with the politicization of the healthcare system. 
So we're talking about people being unable to get care in English for their potentially life-threatening conditions. And it is a major concern. And the same applies to the court system. So if someone has to go through the court system, they have to learn a whole new set of terms and considerations before they're able to get any service in English. So we're talking about things that have huge impacts on people's lives. And the Quebec government appears to be playing with those lives. One of the important things to note is that, you know, when, when they made their big show of, of dropping the, the French requirement in CGEP for the requirement to take four, three core courses in the French language, they've changed it, but they didn't really change it. They changed it that in, instead now, if the law is, is adopted, that the students, English students in CGEP will have to take an additional three French language courses, and those marks would count towards their final R score, which could be detrimental to their future university careers, uh, you know, because those, those marks are, are, are important. And if they weren't to count towards their R scores and it was just to help them become better French speakers, then, it, then it's not tied to their potential future student careers, right? So, so that's, that's a huge, a huge thing. And it should be noted too, that, that Bill 96 is a proposed amendment to Bill 101, which is the, the Charter of the French Language. And the goal of, of the Charter of French Language and the goal of Bill 96 is to make the French language the only official language of Quebec. There, there will be certain, I guess, exemptions uh, granted to people who, are, who could prove that they are historically Anglophones and not French speakers and and this and that, and, and some of the healthcare stuff that Mark had discussed, it wouldn't affect those historic Anglophones, but it would affect especially new Quebecers. So whether it's somebody moving from somewhere else in Canada or somebody moving from another country, and as we were going to be seeing and we've seen, uh, there's an influx of refugees coming from uh, from the Ukraine and, and, and those areas that six months after they arrive in, in the province, that they will no longer be entitled to services in English. They would have to be served exclusively in French, and that's in healthcare institutions and, and uh, court systems. And a lot of times when somebody's going to looking for healthcare, it's, it's at a stressful time. It's hard enough to, to, to understand medical terms when you're stressed in a situation that is, is very stressful, it could be, you know, it could be a life and death situation. And then to not be able to be served in a, in a language that you're more comfortable with, it really could mean life or death, like Mark was saying. And that's exactly right, Greg. To your point, the law was designed to strengthen Bill 101 at a time when I don't know that the whole world, the whole province was clamoring for it. I think that with respectfully to the Quebec government, respectfully or not, every time a crisis pops up such as COVID-19, which has gutted our healthcare system and has sort of put us in a position where we realize the shortcomings of that publicly run, government-funded state healthcare system. There pops up another French-English debate in order to inflame the masses and to, you know, create division amongst Quebecers for something that really, other than, you know, political, doesn't seem to have a ton of impact, especially in the Montreal area where you're talking about a lot of people who are fairly bilingual and can get along. And I think it should be noted that it's very, this would be a very different conversation if the French language was actually in danger of being eradicated. There's 
millions of people around the world who speak French. There's millions of people in the province of Quebec who, who, who speak French. I was just reading a stat over the weekend that Quebec, uh, accord, according to the statistics, there's about 1.5 million people in the province of Quebec who are Anglophones, and there's 6 million people that live in Quebec, right? So, so if there's 1.5 million that are that a million people that are Anglophones, you know the majority of people in in the province are are Francophones or Allophones, and they're they're French speakers. And the problem is the CAQ government only recognizes about 750,000 people as Anglophones in in the province of Quebec. And if people don't know much about politics in Quebec, the CAQ government is is a right wing government and. They're they're more in line with with the Republicans and uh, in the U.S. and and here they are they're 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 creating they're creating an issue where there's no issue, and I mean this is the same government that that took issue over store clerks saying bonjour hi because they were you know being accommodating to to people who may speak English with, without first being introduced as English so you know if somebody walks in the store saying bonjour hi it became a really big thing and and nobody want and, and the Quebec government wanted to eliminate that which is you know it, it it's just it's it's a minuscule thing that turned into front page news it's, it it was insane because that's always the way it goes in Quebec when when they seek to obfuscate and obscure another issue up pops a language debate and this gets everybody's the hair standing up on the back of their neck. And frankly, it takes attention off of issues of real concern, such as education, healthcare, and governance. And, and, and the issue I think that, that we're seeing here in our community is that, you know, uh, historically we're an English speaking community aside from Ganyakeha, you know, and, 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 and from what I understand, what I, you know, from the, the, the original Bill 101 debates 40 plus years ago, 45 years ago, you know, it was something that we, you know, we were like, no, this is, we're not going to be learning French and it's going to be very difficult. And, you know, there, there's all, there's a bunch of different reasons why, but, you know, we're, we're an English speaking community with, with mock speakers and, and some French speakers. And if, if, you know, we've, we've had students have great success in, in, in post-secondary education at uh, the CJEP and the university level, you know, and without having, you know, have, having been French speakers or, or, or knowing much French. It's not a huge detriment to our, to our community that, that we don't speak French, but it is, it would be a, a good tool to have, you know, and, and, you know, but some people are, are, are not multiple language learners. You know, and and French is it, it, you know could be a very confusing and difficult language to learn. Aside from learning Kanyakeha, which is also uh, you know it, it could also be very difficult and intricate to learn. And then English is also a very complicated language. Speaking from experience, when I went, to, uh, Mark and I went to university together. In order to graduate, we had to prove to the journalism department. department that we were functionally bilingual in French. And that was, that wasn't a, a government requirement. It was a departmental requirement because they figured that if everybody who's going to Concordia journalism is going to work in the Montreal area, they're going to need to learn French. So in order to do that, we had to either take a second language French writing course. And in order to get to that, you have to do a first year French course, or you had to go and speak with a professor in the French department in French and have, have a formal interview. And if that professor felt that you were functionally bilingual and that you could get by as a French speaker, then you got the letter saying that certified that you're allowed to graduate. Otherwise you're not getting a journalism degree from Concordia. Nope. 
And I remember distinctly um, my the the moments before my half my my half hour interview with a French professor, sweating bullets before oh. I went in. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I yeah. was that was the most nervous I've uh, ever uh, been because that's the last requirement we had before graduating. All of our stuff was in. All the hard stuff was done. And we had to prove a French ability, which which is fine in the Montreal area. That's required. Yeah. It's part of the job. But but I think I would have felt very differently had that been a government a mandate, government requirement, saying that we had to do this and we had to do that in post secondary education in in the province of Quebec. You're allowed to do all your assignments in either official language of the province. So you could do every assignment, even if you're going to an English school, you can do every assignment in French. Because it's one of the official languages. But in order to graduate certain programs, like journalism, you have to prove that you can speak French and that you're functional in French. And all other programs, you have to pass an English exit exam. Because if, if you have a degree in, in something, you should be able to write in English if, if, if you went to school in English. And at the end of the day, in certain classes, you get an exemption from that, that requirement. Uh, certain programs, one of those re- programs is journalism, the other is English. And if you're in French, if your studies are, are, are French studies, then you get the exemption from the French requirements in, in certain things. So it's all different. And that's based on the educational institution. And that's where it should be based on what you're going to school for. The government should have no bearing on, on, on what language that you have to speak. Bill 96 is such a, a heavy issue, and I'm sure that we could have talked at this even more at length. And I'm certain that this is not the last we will be speaking about Bill 96. So... With that being said, I would like to switch gears just ever so slightly, if that's okay with you guys, because I want to talk about a really fun event that took place at the Gunawagi Sports Complex over a period of two days, just in April, which was the return of the K-Town Collectibles Expo. And Greg, I know that uh, you were able to take in some of the uh, the wrestling that day. Yeah, that was, uh, you know, the, the K-Town uh, Collectibles Expo, or is in French, the Expo de Collectibles de Gunawagi. <laughs> that, that was uh, a very fun two days. It brought a lot of people together. And for the first time, uh, you know, the last time there was a Collectibles Expo was, was pre-pandemic. And there was actually supposed to be one in April 2020. But of course, you know, everything was shut down because of the pandemic. And then, uh, you know, we get we get here and th- they, they had a larger venue this time was the Gunawagi Sports Complex. There was over 150 vendors there. And then on the Sunday, the International Wrestling Syndicate, IWS, you know, they, they performed a show uh, on Saturday night at Club Soda. And some some of their guys uh, came over and did a show here in Gunawagi for, for everybody attending the Collectibles Expo. It was, it was quite the show. And Gunawagi's uh, Kyle Zachary, who is the one half of the tag team duo, uh, the Dad Bod Squad, made his IWS debut and 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 won and won over the crowd, and, and it was it was a very entertaining afternoon. Right, and when and when you go to a, an expo like this, I know that you're no stranger to uh, adding to your collection on a regular basis, Greg and Mark. I know that uh, we, but you realize that people that there's people will collect almost anything. Yeah, there's there's markets for everybody there. Like people were selling uh, paintings, uh, of course, vinyl. I know, Greg, you're. You're very much into vinyl as well, but was there anything that you purchased there that uh, you were able to add to your collection? I ended up, uh, I didn't, I didn't buy a lot. I got a print from a local artist, they used the Tommy Deer, who who does fantastic work. Uh, you know, and he 
his uh he's a well-known uh artist in the comic book world and he sets up and he goes to comic cons all over the place and uh, he's going to be at the Montreal Comic Con later this year, you know, and and so he had some prints available, and I, I was able to pick up one of those and picked up a couple of uh, a couple of baseball cards and a basketball card, and you know, just some 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 minor things, but uh, it was really nice to to get out there and just see the kind of things that are, that people are out there collecting and selling. Yeah, and it's definitely not a toy show. I know a lot of people like to say the toy show, the toy show, but if you went into that building, you see, like I said, that there's tables for almost anything. Mark, is there anything that uh, you like to collect oh goodness gracious it's it's funny you ask that because i i have a pretty I, I don't have a a size of a collection the size of greg's i i think greg might have the most impressive sports memorabilia collection i've ever seen in my life agreed um but i i some of the things i'm proudest of in my home i have a, a framed autographed dermonte dawson jersey the center for the pittsburgh steelers i'm a a football offensive line nerd. So that was a thing that was really cool to me. And I have an autographed uh, Wayne Gretzky action figure from his days at the New York Rangers, as a matter of fact. So those are two of the things Ooh. I'm proudest of in my home. I've uh, started sharing my collections with my son. He's gotten interested in, in, in old football cards. Fortunately, all the football cards from the early 90s were massively overproduced and they can all be bought for pennies now. So my son and I go to the stores and buy these old boxes of cards for pennies on the dollar and open them up. I, I might have some uh, some old uh, football cards that, that that might be of interest to you then. Well, then I think that we, we should have a discussion after <laughs> this podcast is over. <laughs> you know, making a, a large investment into uh, your collection can sometimes be quite the gamble if, if things uh, aren't as, as worthy as you thought. But speaking of uh, gambling, the uh, Playground Poker Club made quite the donation just recently to... A local mom, and uh, I know that uh, Greg was there to talk to uh, the mother and as well the uh, Playground Poker Club yeah, about this. It all started at Christmas, right before Christmas. For the last couple of years, uh, some of the guys at Playground have been doing uh, like a Christmas dinner food basket type of type of thing and, and delivering food to make all the trimmings for, for a Christmas dinner to a number of Gunawake families. And then this past Christmas, Michael Thomas had made a delivery to a single mother named uh, Christy Lahash, who, who's a mother of 10, who has a, a couple of sets of twins and uh, some some are, are special needs and uh, and have other uh, medical issues. And, and um, he started, uh, he got to know her and, and talking about her and uh, talking with her and, and learning uh, about uh, her difficulties uh, being a single mom and having been uh, recently in a car accident where, you know, uh, her vehicle was that w was used to, to transport uh, her and her family in different places wasn't wasn't able to be used, you know, and then going back and forth. And he said, well, listen, he's like, you know, we want to help you out a little bit more. You know, let's uh, let's try to figure something out and uh, we'll, we'll talk in a, a few weeks or, or so. Mike had met with the partners at Playground and also with uh, uh, original tobacco traders. And they discussed how, how they could help her. And uh, they asked her to write a letter. It's outlining her needs. And at the end of the day, uh, they decided that they would get her a Dodge Caravan to help uh, bring her, her and her kids all over the place. Because, you know, with the pandemic ongoing, public transit and, and whatnot isn't always the best way and especially if there's there's a few kids that need to go different places they, they discussed it and then they, they went shopping around for a vehicle and the the dealer that they ended up getting the vehicle from said that they would knock two thousand dollars off the price and include a year's worth of maintenance and oil changes as a gift to help out the single mother 
by the end of it, OTT had also purchased the first year of, of insurance. So this was really a life-changing donation to a young mother, right? You know, she went from being not very mobile, not being able to get her kids to daycare or to school or or different things and or, or not even just being able to go out on a shopping trip with her all her kids right and and then she was like completely completely taken by surprise by this and extremely grateful and and you know she's, she's like i'm at a loss for words i can't like i can't even describe what it feels like but you know she she was very grateful you know the guys at playground were like okay you know because in the past they've done donations and and they, they've done different things but i've always been low-key about it and what they want to do is try to get uh, more people who are able to inspire more people to, to give back to the community because, you know, there's, there's a lot of people who are very well off, but there's a lot of people who, who, who aren't. They want to try to get, get more people into that spirit of, of giving back and uh, whether, whether they do it with, with Playground uh, and, and through, they have the, they started you know, maybe 10 years ago, there's this uh, Ganegaga Funding Association, but it kind of, it kind of went, went by the wayside for a little while and they're trying to, they start trying to revive it right before the pandemic, but uh, the pandemic happened and it put a, put a kibosh on that. They're trying to get that back going again. So, so they're, they want, they're looking for people who, who are in a similar situation as them, whether they, they get on board with them with the Ganegaga Funding Association or not, they just want people to be like, okay, yes, you know, let, let's help out. Uh, our fellow community members and and help make this community a better place. Just moving along now, and although the uh, NHL playoffs are are happening now, uh, our minor hockey team's season came to an end just last month. Uh, We had a couple of teams in the mix still in the postseason looking for some hardware, but ultimately all of our uh, Gunawage Minor Hockey Association teams are, are now officially done for the season, but that means it's time for the start of lacrosse. Yes. And... I look directly at Greg Horn for lacrosse <laughs> in almost every circumstance, but also because uh, the Gunawage Hunters opened their season in Aguazasne, and I believe you know a little bit about the team. Yeah, so in the fall of 2019, uh, the, the the owners of the Hunters brought me on board to be the general manager of, of, of the Hunters, right? We, as we all know, in March 2020, uh, we went into a pandemic, and because of that, these are the first games that I'm actually the GM for, and we went two years, two full seasons without lacrosse. Gunawagi Sports Complex was was closed due to the, uh, for the pandemic over the last two summers because as a part of the community's emergency management plan, the Gunawagi Sports Complex was uh, set up as a backup mass casualty center or to be used as a backup vaccination center. So it needed to be available. So so we went a whole hockey season without any without the access to the arena and and two whole lacrosse seasons. Getting back to hockey a little bit, we had our first full hockey season go through very successfully and then after the season was done they turned off the compressor and cleared the ice out and and, and got ready for lacrosse so Gunawaga Minor Lacrosse is also getting into the swing of things and the Gunawaga Hunters now started and just completed a road trip to north of Toronto and it should be noted that the the Hunters are a very young team got a few a few older players, some a few veterans, but you know, so a lot of these kids, the last time they played, they were bantam, so they missed their entire midget career to jump into junior. It's a huge, it's a huge difference because uh, the age group for for junior is seventeen to twenty one. So, and we have some sixteen year olds on our team, and you know, it's it, it's just one of those things that that you know, it's it, there's gonna be a huge learning curve. Uh, but throughout the five games that that the hunters have played, there's there's been a lot of improvement in their play and you know i think that the the first win is uh is coming soon you know hopefully uh you know there's there's some good things to come as the 
uh, field season in the States uh, starts to wind down. Uh, there's going to be some other players who have been playing either high school or, or university uh, are going to be coming back. So, so that's going to be exciting. And we're really excited to see uh, th- this team continue to develop. Oh, definitely. And uh, there was also a pretty uh, loud crowd when the Hunters finally did make their return to uh, the Gunawage Sports Complex. Yes, the home opener uh, last Sunday against uh, the Gloucester Griffins. That was huge. That was the first lacrosse game played at the Gunawage Sports Complex since the the gold medal game of the 2019 President's Cup. Wow. Wow. Uh, People have been wanting lacrosse. Last summer, um, you know, Kirby Joe... Uh, Daibo and Garrett Cree, uh, they, they, they got, uh, they started this, uh, Gunawagi Lacrosse League that, that played, uh, you know, pickup games at the, at the rink, uh, on, oh, I believe Wednesday nights, uh, for, for throughout the summer, you know, and, and so people got to see some lacrosse and, uh, you know, some of our local athletes got to play lacrosse, but it's not the same as, as an official game, right? So to have, have that game, uh, you know. Back uh, at the sports complex uh, for on a Sunday afternoon, the place was was packed and 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 loud, and you know it was it was really something to see and and to finally see our players back on the floor uh, after so long. You know, just going back to something I said a little bit earlier about the uh, Ganawage Minor Hockey Association being finished for the season, that doesn't necessarily mean that our Ganawage hockey players are are finished for the season because in April we had quite a few players that were trying out for the men's and women's team of Team Eastern Door and the North, right? Yeah, and the National Aboriginal Hockey Championship is taking place in Nova Scotia uh, this week. Both men's and women's team uh, feature Gunawaga players and I believe Gunawaga coaches. So, you know, as they continue to, to go, we'll be hearing more about them. There's also players that are that are out trying out for different teams over the next uh, over the next few weeks uh, for next season. And, uh, you know, so there's still a lot of hockey action going on. And, you know, there was a team from Gunawaga in a triple letter tournament in Cornwall a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, there, there's all kinds of things that are happening. And I think our hockey players are I'll, always find a way to keep busy uh, throughout the year. You know, I, I've been able to get out onto the links twice already so far this season. And of course, golf is one of the things that I'm most looking forward to in the coming weeks. Greg, I know you're also an avid golfer. So I was just wondering what you guys are looking forward to doing as the weather continues to improve in the next couple of weeks. Uh, getting out there and playing some golf uh, a little bit more. Uh, hopefully my back holds out. And then, you know, the Gunawagi Mix Softball League kicked off as we listened, as this premieres on, on Wednesday, it'll be day night two of the Gunawagi Mix Softball League. The opening pitch is Tuesday uh, or was Tuesday uh, at 6 p.m. So, you know, we're, uh, you know, it's, it's looking like a, it's going to be a busy summer over here. Are you still on uh, the boys' roster this season? For now. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward to seeing you out on the field. And how about you, Mark? Well, I'm uh, super excited about the spring because of all the wonderful things that come with it. The nice weather, the ability to get out and enjoy the fresh air. Playing some rounds of golf with my brand new GunnawagaNews.com golf balls, which are pretty exciting. Yuri was a golf balls. Come on. Yuri was a golf balls. They are fabulous. And uh, they add 10 yards to your to your drives. Um, that is not made up. That is a thing. That I'm is gonna, made up completely. I, <laughs> I'm going to take a second now and brag on my kids because my son uh, is excited about, he's going to a flag football tournament in Boston over uh, the June 23rd, 25th weekend. And it's a national championship of, of American flag football. And his flag football team just won their their season, their Montreal area league season yesterday. And my daughter's 
hockey team won their Montreal Meltdown AAA Girls Tournament as well. So it was a huge day, and I'm looking forward to some of the amateur sports that take up all of the time in my schedule going by the wayside for a little bit is what I'm looking forward to. Well, I'd like to say thank you to you guys for coming in today and uh, getting together to do this with me today. And uh, I'm sure we'll be back at it talking again with you guys soon. So, nyawako. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Jordan. Thanks for listening to The Lead. Be sure to check out our other podcasts like Meatheads and The Beating Table on Google and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.